This is section 86 of Mark Twain, a biography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography. Volume 1, part 2, 1866 to 1875. Chapter 86, England. From that night, Mark Twain's stay in England could not properly be called a gloomy one. Routledge, Hood, Lee, and in fact all literary London set themselves the task of giving him a good time. Whatever place of interest they could think of, he was taken there. Whatever there was to see, he saw it. Dinners, receptions, and assemblies were not complete without him. The White Friars Club and others gave banquets in his honor. He was the sensation of the day. When he rose to speak on these occasions, he was greeted with wild cheers. Whatever he said, they eagerly applauded, too eagerly sometimes, in the fear that they might be regarded as insensible to American humor. Other speakers delighted in chafing him in order to provoke his retorts. When a speaker humorously referred to his American habit of carrying a cotton umbrella, his reply that he followed this custom because a cotton umbrella was the only kind of an umbrella that an Englishman wouldn't steal was all over England next day, and regarded as one of the finest examples of wit since the days of Swift. The suddenness and completeness of his acceptance by the great ones of London rather overwhelmed and frightened him, made him timid. Joaquin Miller writes, He was shy as a girl, although time was already coyly flirting white flowers at his temples, and could hardly be coaxed to meet the learned and great who wanted to take him by the hand. Many came to call on him at his hotel, among them Charles Reed and Canon Kingsley. Kingsley came twice without finding him, then wrote, asking for an appointment. Reed invited his assistance on a novel. Indeed, it was in England that Mark Twain was first made to feel that he had come into his rightful heritage. Whatever may have been the doubts concerning him in America, there was no question in England. Howells says, In England, rank, fashion, and culture rejoiced in him. Lord Mayors, Lord Chief Justices, and magnates of many kinds were his hosts. He was desired in country houses, and his bold genius captivated the favor of periodicals which spurned the rest of our nation. After that first visit of Mark Twain's, when Americans in England, referring to their great statesmen, authors, and the like, naturally mentioned the names of Seward, Webster, Lowell, or Holmes, the English comment was likely to be, Never mind those. We can turn out academic Sewards by the dozen, and cultured humorists like Lowell and Holmes by the score. Tell us of Lincoln, Artemus Ward, and uh, Mark Twain. We cannot match these. Uh, they interest us. And it was true. History could not match them, for they were unique. Clemens would have been more than human if in time he had not realized the fuller meaning of this triumph, and exulted in it a little to the folks at home. There never lived a more modest, less pretentious, less aggressive man than Mark Twain, but there never lived a man who took a more childlike delight in genuine appreciation, 
and being childlike it was only human that he should wish those nearest to him to share his happiness after one memorable affair he wrote i have been received in a sort of tremendous way tonight by the brains of london assembled at the annual dinner of the sheriffs of london mine being between you and me a name which was received with a thundering outburst of spontaneous applause when the long list of guests was called i might have perished on the spot but for the friendly support and assistance of my excellent friend sir john bennett this letter does not tell all of the incident or the real reason why he might have perished on the spot during the long roll-call of guests he had lost interest a little and was conversing in whispers with his excellent friend sir john bennett stopping to applaud now and then when the applause of the others indicated that some distinguished name had been pronounced all at once the applause broke out with great vehemence this must be some very distinguished person indeed he joined in it with great enthusiasm when it was over he whispered to sir john whose uh, name was that we were just applauding mark twain's whereupon the support was needed poor little pirate hotton did not have a happy time during this visit he had reveled in the prospect at first for he anticipated a large increase to be derived from his purloined property but suddenly one morning he was aghast to find in the spectator a signed letter from mark twain in which he was repudiated referred to as john camden hottentot an unsavory person generally hotten also sent a letter to the spectator in which he attempted to justify himself but it was a feeble performance clemens prepared two other communications each worse than the other and both more destructive than the first but these were only to relieve his mind he did not print them in one of them he pursued the fancy of john camden hottentot whom he offers as a specimen to the zoological gardens it is not a bird it is not a man it is not a fish it does not seem to be in all respects a reptile it has the body and features of a man but scarcely any of the instincts that belong to such a structure i am sure that this singular little creature is the missing link between the man and the hyena hotten had preyed upon explorer stanley and libeled him in a so-called biography to a degree that had really aroused some feeling against stanley in england only for the moment the queen invited stanley to luncheon and newspaper criticism ceased hotten was in general disrepute therefore so it was not worth while throwing a second brick at him in fact now that clemens had expended his venom on paper hotten seemed to him rather an amusing figure than otherwise an incident grew out of it all however that was not amusing 
e p hingston whom the reader may remember as having been with artemus ward in virginia city and one of that happy group that wined and dined the year away had been engaged by hotten to write the introductory to his edition of the innocents abroad it was a well-written highly complimentary appreciation hingston did not dream that he was committing an offense nor did clemens himself regard it as such in the beginning but mark twain's views had undergone a radical change and with characteristic dismissal of previous conditions he had forgotten that he had ever had any other views than those he now held hingston was in london and one evening at a gathering approached clemens with outstretched hand but clemens failed to see hingston's hand or to recognize him in after years his conscience hurt him terribly for this he remembered it only with remorse and shame once in his old age he spoke of it with deep sorrow end of chapter eighty six england read by john greenman